Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. There's two words, many words, but two words that popped out when I was reading that psalm. And it's the word wait. It's in verse 3 and in verse 5. And it talks about, verse 3, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And then he says in verse 5, about you, O God, are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Go to uh, a companion scripture that we'll also look at is in James. Go to James chapter 5, and that should be on the screen. We're going to read that and unpack that briefly. This morning, James, uh, beginning at chapter 7. And the word of the Lord reads in James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the encouragement we've already heard this morning. And God, we pray that, uh, God, your word will speak to our lives and be an encouragement to, to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. You know, waiting is not something natural to most of us. So would you agree? You know, uh, it's just not something that comes natural. And the last thing we want to hear is when we have a situation and somebody says, wait. That's not what I want to hear. I want resolve right now. I don't know when it was, several months back, we... Our granddaughter was having a recital at her school, and we were rushing up there, and not we didn't get to uh, where uh, uh, Route 33 was, and had a flat tire, and it was raining, and you're on I-4 on the afternoon, and we, fortunately we were able to pull off. And I've had AAA for a long time, just for these you know moments every year. When I think about renewing, I think, man, all you got to do is use it that one time, and you're glad you have it. So I called AAA. You know, sat back, talked. They'll be here in a minute. And they weren't coming. Usually they've been pretty responsive. And I had, I remember one time I uh, had a car issue at that interchange of I-4 and and um, there in Tampa. And uh, they were really uh, on the spot. I'm waiting and I call them. And you know what they're telling me? Uh, they're on their way. Just wait a little longer. Well, that turned into what? Four hours? No, we were, the, the whole thing was, but after about, to, I figured we'd already missed the recital. We knew that wasn't going to happen. And it was raining, 
And finally, you know, I just like forget it. I'm going to do it myself. So I'm out there, you know, prove to my wife I know how to change a tire, right? Put that little donut on there. But I didn't want to hear wait. That was not what I heard. I have a moment. I need help. And I need you to just forget everybody else in central Florida. You come and change my tire, AAA. I'm at the most top of the need. Well, they weren't in prayer. I didn't say that, but they weren't, they weren't going to do that. This morning, the title of the message is Waiting Time is Not Wasted Time. And we're going to talk about this waiting and this dangerous prayer of praying and say, Lord, waiting on you. I wait on you. And some of you this morning, you may be kind of in a holding pattern. You may be waiting for something needful in your life. You may have a a, a loan you're waiting on. You may have a business situation, a job situation, a family situation, and you're waiting. And you're not just waiting a day or two. I need you to come up and bump that air. Okay, I can feel it on my back, and you probably could feel it. Uh, Sorry. Uh, But you have something in your life that you've been waiting on, and you figure, okay, it's one day, Lord, I've waited long enough. But how many of you know God doesn't work by your timetable, right? And so that's why we pray this prayer, Lord, about waiting. I wait on you. And it's dangerous because the Lord says, okay, you're going to wait on me? Remember, I'm God, and I work by my own agenda and my own timetable. And so this morning, we're going to unpack this from James a little bit. And we're, again, we're so programmed in our culture and the way we are that, uh, you know, that some restaurants, I don't know, if, I, I know there was one restaurant did this, that if they came out, when they came out, they put like a, some kind of stopwatch on your table. And if they didn't bring your meal out in, what, 15 minutes, you got it free, you know, and the problem is when they take that away, that's still in your system. Like, come on, you know, it's been 13 minutes. Where, where, where's, you know, where's my fajitas? You know, come on, let's go. But uh, we we still wait. We wait for doctor's appointments, traffic. But let me give you three three uh, thoughts as we unpack this this morning. Number one, when should I wait on God? When should I wait on God? Even praying for some of you this morning, we we're praying, and oftentimes is knowing when is it time to wait. Moses, we're studying Moses on Wednesday nights. There were times in which God told Moses, speak to the people of Israel and move forward. And then there was times that the Lord said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You're like, well, is this a standstill moment or is this a move forward moment? You know what we need in those times? We need discernment. We need to know what God is doing. What is God saying? How is he directing us? Three examples of when we need to wait on God. Number one, uh, part of this uh, when is when circumstances are uncontrollable. They're uncontrollable. We can't get in there and fix it. We can't get in there and do this, do that, and make it all better. So we need to wait on God when circumstances are uncontrollable. Look at verse 7 in James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer does what? The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So when circumstances are uncontrollable and we can't fix it, James gives the example of the farmer, the one who goes out there and he plants the seed. Now, he has no control over over the sun, the rain, the ground. I mean, he does his part, 
but he is totally dependent that if there is going to be growth and there's going to be a harvest, he's totally dependent of someone beyond himself to make this happen, right? So that's why James gives us that example. He can't control the circumstances. And there's things in your life and there's things in my life that we can't control the situation. We need to wait on God when circumstances that we can't control. And let me also just mention this, is that just because you don't see activity, when you plant something in the ground, you don't just kind of get a little pillow and get your tea and lay there and say, okay, I'm going to wait for this thing to grow. Let's see it happening. Right? But if you've done everything right, and you know that the elements are proper, you have confidence in knowing that this, this seed is going to grow in whatever it is. The farmer is the example that he can't control things, but he knows that he is dependent on things he can't control. The farmer can't see the soil, but the seed is active. And just because you don't see activity, you don't see God maybe doing something visible in circumstances, don't assume that God is not working. Okay, don't make that assumption that God has forgotten things and he's not working. Also, we need to wait on God when people are unchangeable. Oftentimes those circumstances that are uncontrollable involve what? People that are uncontrollable. Now, I know none of you here like to control people. And there was a season when we felt like we can control our children, right? Well, I don't care if you want to go to church. You're going, you know. I mean, you just told them what they were doing. And that's what they did. You could do it. But they get a certain age and they're on their own, like, you know, my son 28, other one's 25 today. They would just be look at you and go, yeah, right. You know, I'm going to do, like, you can't control me, right? Uh, I remember one time with my grown son, he was maybe 24, 25, where I was having dinner with he and his wife, and we were in, um, I don't know, Red Lobster or something. Or, and for whatever reason, I don't know what possessed me, but without even realizing, I, I was reaching over and cutting his steak. <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes, Dad, will you stop? I'm like, oh, sorry, you know. I don't know what I was doing there, but uh, anyway, so I miss that. Uh, he doesn't, but I do. James 5.10, talk about people are they're uncontrollable. Notice the example. It gives the prophets. Remember the prophets? They were there to deliver God's message. They were there. Really, if you were called to be a prophet, you had a, you had a nonprofit ministry. I mean, because you know what? If you were called to be a prophet, you were there usually to tell people what they were doing wrong. You need to quit that. You need to get back on track. And they were called the nation of Israel. The Bible, even Stephen, we looked at uh, Stephen's message a while back. We'll be back in Acts uh, in February in our study of the book of Acts, looking at Paul's ministry. And Stephen said in his indictment against Israel, he said, you, and there's many verses about how you killed the prophets. You rejected their message. And so um, they had a message, and oftentimes it was repent, but people were uncontrollable. They were unchangeable, right? And so that's the prophets, and he gives that example of those prophets. There are people in your life and situations, employers or job situations or whatever, um, that, you know what, you just have to wait on God. The Bible talks about how God can change the king's heart like altering a river. 
He can change the direction like that. God can do more in a nanosecond than you can do with all the fretting, the worrying, the manipulation, the scheming, the conniving. God can do more to change a life, a heart, a situation quickly. Uh, And so, again, we wait on the Lord. And also is that when problems are unexplainable. It talks about Job, verse 11, in James 5. Remember Job? Anybody ever said you need to have the patience of Job? Um, remember Job? He lost children. He lost uh, possessions, his health. He had a bitter, angry wife. Notice how I said that with emphasis. A bitter, angry wife. I don't have a bitter, angry wife. You know why? Because she told him, you know what? Why don't you just die? Boy, what an encouragement that was. They, they should have gone to that five love languages conference, right? They would have known that one of those love languages was probably not bitterness or something, right? All right. I usually have them memorized, but I forgot some of them. All right. So the question is, what do you do when things happen and there's no explainable reason? And there's a lot of things that happen in our life. Tragedies. And I don't want to make light of any of that. And we, this isn't the time to kind of unpack that. But when the day is done, there's still, even with Scripture and understanding God, and you've been walking with God, let's be real and be honest. There are times where you just, the day is done, and you may enter into heaven not really having an understanding of why certain things happen the way they did. You realize God doesn't necessarily owe us an explanation before we die. It'd be nice sometimes. Job, you know the story of Job? Guess what? Job went through all this the whole time, and he never knew what had gone on behind. He never really understood how he got in this situation and the circumstances that God allowed and, 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 and the forces and things that happened. I think it would be a lot easier for me if when I went through situations that God just gave me a little text, maybe like that little text thing, and he said, hey, Tim, uh, you're going to go through this. Here's kind of the outcome of what's going to happen. Okay, you know, I can deal with that. What's hard is when you're flying in the dark. When you're flying in the dark. Uh, How many of you have a pilot license? I just want to make sure if you ever ask me to fly, I don't fly with you, all right? Uh, I knew some folks back in Illinois that had pilot's license, and I drove with them, and I thought, they can't even drive a car. last thing I'm getting in is a plane, right? Ron, Ron Wallace, my goodness. All right, I'll have to edit that out. He listens to my sermons. That was for you, Ron. All right. Um, how many of you remember J- uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., who was killed in that tragic uh, plane accident with his wife and her sister, Somewhere they're flying up to uh, Maine, Massachusetts, uh, somewhere where you guys hang out, and uh, not Martha's Vineyard. I don't know if y'all hang out at Martha's, but they're flying up there for some wedding. And one of the the um, one of the tragedies again. I think he was flying. It was fog, low visibility. It, even though he was a seasoned pilot in one of the most expensive airplanes uh, that money could buy, you know, the Kennedy family. I'm sure money was not an issue as far as the kind of plane he bought, but one of the areas that he had not qualified in was to be able to fly by instrument panel only. So even though there was no visibility 
the, the FAA surmise and their research, there was no visibility. He couldn't see your body plays tricks on you. Your body will cause you a disorientation where you may feel like you are pulling up and ascending when in reality your body is tricking you and you're actually descending and going down. And the only way you would know that isn't by your visible ability to look out over you because you can't see anything. And your body is telling you, well, it feels like I'm going this direction, but your instrument panels will always tell you the truth. You know what our instrument panel is? Is the Word of God. The culture will lie, they will manipulate, they will brainwash, and if you are not saturated and able to read the instrument panels that God has given you, you'll be sucked in and think you are ascending when you are descending in your life. Problems will be unexplainable. And the interesting thing, just to wrap up Job, is that the first 37 chapters of the book of Job, God's not saying nothing to him. What do you mean, wait, if you're not going to talk to me? If you're not going to speak? And then, when you read and finish the book of Job, what you find at the end is that when God does speak, guess what? God never really explains anything of what was going on. You know what God does? He gives Job a a bigger picture of himself. Not of Job, but of who God is. He expands his view of God so that as horrible and as tragic as what Job went through, he saw God in a greater glory. Does that make everything easy and understandable? No. But let me tell you something. In my dark moments, you know what I need? I need more of God and less of me. I need a greater view of the one who controls every atom and molecule. R.C. Sproul said, if there is one maverick molecule roaming in the universe, God is not God. There's no randomness. God doesn't learn anything. God is sovereign over my life. And I need a bigger view of who God is. Sometimes God is silent. And it's in those situations that we have to wait on God and remember that God always has a purpose. God always has a plan. And that he may, may reveal it in his time and his way. And let me just make this one other note because it's important. Is just because a situation or a circumstance is unexplainable does not mean that God is unknowable. Do you hear what I'm saying? Just because you can't, un- you can't explain a situation, the problem, does not mean that God is unknowable. There is a lot of things that I do not know about circumstances, life, events, or whatever. People sometimes will ask, say, well, Pastor, what about this situation? And through the years, Ernie, I've just reached the point of saying, you know what? I don't know. You know, when I was in my 20s, I knew everything, and, you know, I'd been to school. I was like, oh, well, the theological understanding of this, and, the, you know, you just thought he'd throw out some big words and whatever. And you're like, I don't have an idea of what I'm saying, and I'm not helping this person and just saying, I don't know. But I don't leave it there. I may not know the answer to this circumstance, but guess what? There's a lot about God I do know. I do know that God is holy. 
I know that God is righteous. I know that God is just. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's forgiving. And I can rely on Genesis 18.25 that Abraham said this scripture that I love, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, always do right. Let me say that again. That would have been a great amen. And I'm going to preach 10 extra minutes just because you didn't do respond. Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth always do right? Doesn't mean he has to pass it by my approval. He will always do right. By whose standard? The Supreme Court? No. Me? No. The holy God who spoke universes by the word of his mouth. Who holds my life, my heart, my breath in his hand. He will always do right. Does that mean I will always understand what that is? No. But I can, what I don't know doesn't mean I'm ignorant of what, of who he is and what I can know of God. So does that mean there's maybe some mystery? Yeah. But I can trust him. Job never got the answers, but he got God. All right, these next two I'm going to do real quick. No. <laughs> Secondly, not when we should wait on God, but why why should I wait on God? James 5:8 mentions the coming of the Lord three times. Or in 5:8 and then that passed three different times. Why? Because patience waiting on God. First is God is in control. Why should I wait on God? And we've kind of said this is because God is in control. God is in control. 8.28, I quote it every other week. We know, we know, we know that God works all things together for good. He works all things together for good to those that love Him and are what? And are called according to His purpose. That's a promise for the believer. And I'm not saying this to be cute or funny, but if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not a claim verse you can make. Because, my friend, all things will not work together for your good. It's only in Christ and in His purposes do these things happen. Also, is why we should wait on God is that God has promised to reward those who wait. Isaiah 40, 18, Therefore the Lord waits... I love this. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious. He waits to be gracious to us. Could it be that sometimes God's waiting room isn't because he's just trying to play mind games with us? But because really, God really does know what is best for us. God will wait you out. Did he not do that with Moses? You want 80 years to get it together and get to a place where I can use you? Moses, I got time. I got eternity. I'll wait 80 years. And he waited 80 years. Till Moses, probably about it, he just figured it's all done. Whatever I'm doing, only thing I got going are these sheep. I'm taking care of my working for my in-laws. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Some of you would be excited to do that, right? Of course not. <laughs> And that's no, I got great in laws. 
But the man born, I mean, birthed and adopted within the house of Pharaoh and educated and lived an elite life. And what's he doing now? But you know what? He reached that place when God says, now I can do something. Now I've got you mow where I want you. I got you where I can use you. What's so such a bummer is why does that come towards the latter years of our life? Why can't we do that when our 20s and 30s, you know? Why does it have to come when we're, can't you do this, when I didn't ache every time I got up in the morning? Couldn't we kind of plan this? You know, but God will wait us out till we're at the place that we are moldable and pliable and there's great reward in that waiting on God. I, I, I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was worth repeating. God has a better plan than our plan. God has something, listen to this, God has something so good, God has something so good that it would be what we would ask for if we knew what was best for our life. Did you catch that? It's so good, if we knew what it was, it would be what we would ask for. I remember another preacher said, if we knew what some of these challenges in our life, what they would unfold and what, how God was using them in, in our life, we wouldn't run away from them, we would run into them. God knows all things, doesn't he? So why do we wait on God? Because he knows way more than I do. And he's worthy of trust. And also about why is that God is always working behind the scenes. Remember this principle. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Well, I've been, I mean, I was thinking about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was what? About, he was uh, 100 years old. And Sarah, uh, I had it because I didn't want to mess it up. Uh, 80, somewhere up in there. There we go. Um, Yeah, he was 100, she was 90, somewhere in there. They waited 25 years from the time that God gave a promise that they would bear a son. Now, I would assume they got God's promise. I assume they were not waiting for an immaculate conception. Fair? Fair? I assume they were putting some faith in action. (laughs) You grown-ups, you explain that later. 25 years. Nada. Now, you know, we wait 25 minutes, and we're like, God's abandoned me. I think I'll be a Scientologist, you know. (laughs) 25 years, because sometimes we're a little hard on Abraham. How Ishmael and him saying, you know what, God, I got this. I know how I'll do this. And he kind of figured, hey, this is be the way I do it. You ever tried to help God along in doing something? And you ended up with an Ishmael in your life? Ishmaels don't go away. You got to feed them. You got to take care of them. You got to send them to college. You got to buy them a car. I mean, they don't go away. But that was not God's plan. But Abraham 
didn't realize that even in when nothing was happening, God was still at work. Listen, Jesus said that a sparrow falls to the ground. How much more value are you? Listen, if the God of the universe knows when a little Tweety bird falls to the ground, he's on the case. The comparison is from the least to the greatest. How much more valuable, Jesus said in Matthew 10, are you than this bird that God even knows the very moment that that bird hits the ground? How much more valuable is your life that God has got this? And the last is not when we should wait on God, why we should wait on God, but how we should wait on God. How do we do this? James 5, 7, again, talking about the farmer. We do it expectantly. You see, I don't think the farmer is an example. He didn't plant a seed. And think, well, you know, this never works out every year. I don't know why I do it. No, he planted the seeds and he was expecting a harvest. He expects something to happen. The Bible says in Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. We're saying, God, I am looking, I am expecting you to act in this situation, and I wait on you. We're not talking about some, some you know, faith in faith kind of thing. We're saying, God, I put my trust in you, and I expect you to move. That means not my will, but thine be done. Don't, don't front load it with God's got to do it the way you prepackage this thing. I'm waiting on God because guess what? I'm on a need-to-know basis with the creator of the universe. And you are too. Expectantly. The farmer doesn't plant the seed and then go on vacation down to Naples, you know, for six months and coming back and think, oh, hey, wow, harvest. You know what he's doing in between the harvest? He's repairing the barns. He's making room. He's mending fences. He's getting, he's getting equipment fixed. He's, he's getting ready. Why? Because he expects a harvest to come because of what he has done. There's an expectancy. And so how should I wait? Wait expectantly on God. Another way is 5-9. This is kind of interesting. Wait quietly. You think, wait quietly. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And the New English uh, Version says this, translate it this way, James 5, 9. Do not blame your troubles on one another. You see, we don't mind waiting, at least I don't, if I can gripe and complain the whole time. Doesn't that make it a little easier? Be honest. If I can blame somebody else for the long line, why don't they hire more cashiers? Why don't they fix this interstate? Why don't they do something uh, with this Disney traffic? I mean, I just grum, wah, 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 and that just makes the waiting, you know, just make, but makes whoever you're with miserable in the process, right? Here's the deal, guys. Some of you, and I put myself in the you, We live life looking at a half-empty glass, bitter and mad at someone who stole the other half. Right? Well, if this had just happened here, 
If I had just gotten this promotion, if that guy hadn't moved from Missouri, if that guy hadn't moved from where and took my whatever, and we gripe and we complain, and we instead of saying, God, thank you for the half glass that I have, it's more than I even deserve. But we gripe and complain. He says, do it quietly. As the heavens, Isaiah 55, 9, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We may be in a hurry, but God is not. And last, do it confidently. James talks about being steadfast. And if you read through the end of the book of James, it gives an example about a man named Elijah, verse 17, about how he was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently, confidently, that it might not rain. And guess what? For three years and six months, it did not rain in the earth. He prayed confidently, having confidence in our waiting. I'm not just waiting, kind of in a, just kind of in some la-la land. I am waiting on God. I am waiting on the one who redeemed me, who saved me, who set his love upon me. Of course I'm waiting on him because I know he always has my best in his agenda, in his plans. And so I wait with confidence. Confidence in God that through faith, faith in God, not faith in faith, not some force of faith nonsense that some people talk about, faith in God. It's the faith that the hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I've got to repeat or say the second stanza. When darkness veils his lovely face and darkness might be veiling the lovely face of Christ. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ. The solid rock. I stand and I will.